there are certain movies that just have a bit of profound wisdom to them. One of them I was thinking about this week as we're preparing for the message. And there's a line in this particular movie that talks about the throne of lies. If you're familiar with that line, you may know the movie. It's the profound and overwhelming movie, Elf. Sometimes those movies can have statements in them that are meant to be funny, but have some real profound impact if you think about them. The whole idea behind the movie Elf, if you've ever seen it, great movie, fun movie. Uh, yes, it's about Santa Claus and all that, but as you watch it, one of the things that becomes evident is Elf, the, the, the main character, um, Buddy, has been raised in the North Pole. And one of the things about Buddy is he knows Santa Claus. He has lived with him. He has experienced him. He has um, talked with him and interacted with him. And so he knows who Santa Claus really is. Buddy is forced to leave the North Pole And as he is working through life in the real world, he's working at a particular store, and at the store, it's Christmas time, and of course, the department store Santa Claus shows up. And Elf has a problem. Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Why, of course I am. <laughs> You're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> How old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. Sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now you're gonna go home and watch it this afternoon after the Eagles game. <laughs> That whole idea of sitting on a throne of lies, that, that, that phrase just struck with me this week. And the whole idea behind the movie, the big point is that Buddy really knows who Santa Claus is. And so he knows the counterfeit. He knows the one who's lying. The story is told, I don't know if it's true, I've never really checked it out, but that when they're training people how to identify counterfeit bills, that one of the ways they do that is to have them constantly handling real bills, real 20 and 50s and hundreds, and that they so much know what the real is that it's much 
it's, more, it's much more easy for them, is that right, to identify the counterfeits. I was thinking about that in our spiritual lives. And I wonder, do we handle the real so much that when the counterfeit comes, we know the difference? That question dominates Isaiah chapter 36 through Isaiah chapter 39. And the question becomes, in the midst of the particular crisis that we're going to look at, does Isaiah know the real so much that he's willing to trust, even in the midst of the crisis and even in the midst of the lies that are coming from the enemy? As we worked our way through the book of Isaiah, the the overall theme is how one is to be a servant of God. And chapters 1 through 5 dealt with the crisis that God found no one really who could be a good servant. And there was struggle with that. And then Isaiah 6, it's Isaiah the individual. As Isaiah deals with God's call for him to be his servant. And he comes in repentance and he comes in brokenness. And he hears God say, who shall we send? And and Isaiah's response is, send me. In Isaiah chapter 7 through Isaiah chapter 12, we have the example of Ahaz, the king. And the question is, will he be a good servant? Will he ultimately trust God? And the answer is a resounding, "Mm mm-mm. Isaiah chapter 13 through Isaiah chapter 35 is the theology of trust. That God can be trusted. That God is sovereign. That God is omniscient. That God is powerful enough and over the world and over the nations and over the lives of his people that you can trust him. That he's a good God. And now the question arises for a second servant. His name is Hezekiah. He is the son of Ahaz. And the question is, what kind of servant will he be? Will he trust? Or will he abandon God and follow the lives of the enemy? The lies of the enemy. When you come to Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, in the midst of that struggle, this is the theme that Isaiah brings forth, and it's this. We escape the world's destructive lies, the fakes of the world, the the things the world wants us to believe by knowing and handling and interacting with God's truth. The more we know, the more we live in God's truth, the more we learn to depend upon God's truth, the more we are able to counteract the lies that the world would tell us. And beloved, all of us struggle with sitting on a throne of lies. 
They surround us. They bombard us. They indwell us. And what Isaiah does here as he gives us the story of Hezekiah, he shows us one who is not a perfect servant. Isaiah has, I mean, I'm sorry, Hezekiah has some major problems in his life and there are some major lapses in his faith. But when the crisis comes, Isaiah, I mean, Hezekiah trusts. And provides, again, not the perfect example, but provides an illustration of what it means to trust God and how God is faithful. The focus isn't on Hezekiah, it's on God. And that we can trust him. Now, in order to kind of understand what's going on, we need to understand that trusting God involves our struggles in real life situations. If you have your Bible there in Isaiah chapter 36, in Isaiah chapter 36, Isaiah introduces this whole section with an incredibly pregnant couple of sentences, just filled with historical reality that we may not be aware of. It says there in Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. And then, and let me summarize, after being certain that Lachish was going to fall, he turns his attention to Jerusalem. And comes with the message. Jerusalem, it's all over. You're about to be destroyed. It looks a little bit like this. We talked about the, the, the kingdoms that were rising during this time. One of them was Assyria. And in 705 BC, a man by the name of Sennacherib would become the emperor would become the king of the Assyrian empire. And which, what was really common during that time is when there was this change in the regime, there was often rebellion within the empire. And so as Sennacherib takes the throne from Sargon, who had usurped the throne, there's a bit of turmoil that is taking place. One of them is in Babylonia, in Babylon. Babylon rebels. They see the weakness of Assyria and they say, eh, we're going to break away. We're going to stop paying our tribute. We're going to stand against Assyria. At the same time, the area of Palestine, the area where Judah now exists. Israel, the northern kingdom, no longer exists. It's just Judah. It's just the southern kingdom. They choose to rebel. And what's so interesting is from historical records and also from scripture, we understand that it's Hezekiah who's leading that rebellion. At the same time, Egypt decides to stir up all this rebellion. 
And so they decide to support the southern areas and stir things up as much as they can. Well, Hezekiah's been on the throne now for about 10 years. It's about 704 B.C. And Sennacherib says, I've had enough. And he invades Babylon and subdues it. Not even really a great fight. It takes him three years. And in 701 BC, he's finished with Babylon. And so he returns to Assyria and says, now it's time to deal with Palestine. And so in 701 BC, he invades this area that Hezekiah is leading. And remember the passage we just read? It said every fortified city. During that time when Assyria was attacking Babylon, Hezekiah had built up fortifications in order to protect his land. Hezekiah had fortified Jerusalem. He had built what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel to make sure there was water coming into the city. He had done all of these preparations, knowing that the day would come when Assyria would attack. And what he was saying was, I'm going to be certain that I'm strong enough. Though he didn't make a complete alliance with Egypt, he would develop a cooperation with them in opposition to what God had said. Sennacherib invades and destroys and conquers every single one of those fortified cities. And now he's in Lachish, which is just south of Jerusalem. Lachish is about to fall And so he sends his emissary, that little pink arrow, to Jerusalem to say, you're next. It's time to surrender. Now, we can't quite enter into this because we live in such a different age, but Jerusalem is surrounded There are thousands of troops. We don't know yet how many. Later on, we know there's at least 185,000 that are surrounding Jerusalem that have destroyed every other fortified city. And now they're about to destroy Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem decides to stand against them, it's kind of a crudeness in this passage. The, The emissary of Sennacherib says, you know what? You want to stand against us? You want to be surrounded? You want to be um, kept in your city? You want to be under siege? It's going to come to the day when you're eating dung and drinking your urine because it's going to be so bad. Yes, that's in the Bible. It's a time of great concern and fear. What are we going to do? And right in the middle of it, comes the enemy's lies. The enemy comes to say, don't trust God. 
And it begins a series as that emissary shows up and shows up there in before Hezekiah and we're told of his arrival. And it says, the field commanders said to them, tell Hezekiah. And then there's a series of lies. Of declarations. And one of the things we need to understand is, this is not just a geopolitical struggle. This is not just Assyria and the the confederation of Judah and Egypt. There's something much more going on here. This is also a spiritual struggle. This is the enemy, both the human enemy, Sennacherib, and also the spiritual enemy. We know him, the Hebrews knew him as Shatan. We know him as Satan. He's coming with his lies. To say, don't trust God. Don't trust God. You know, nothing's changed. You and I are involved in the spiritual battles of our lives, whether it's a spiritual battle over temptation, whether it's a spiritual battle in the midst of a difficult circumstance, whether it's the spiritual battle of of discouragement or, or hopelessness or whatever it may be. In the midst of those battles, the enemy brings his lies. The question becomes... Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? We don't have time this morning, but if we did, you could read down through this passage. And over and over again, the enemy, the voice of the enemy is asking this question. Who are you going to depend on? You really think you can depend on God? And so over and over, there are words that deal with trust and dependence. You see it in, in, um, in verse 4, where he asks, basing your confidence on what? You see it again where he says, on whom do you depend? You see it again in verse 6. Look now, you are depending on Egypt. He says it again in verse 7. We are depending on the Lord our God. He says it again in verse 9. You are depending on Egypt. Who are you depending on? Who are you putting your faith in? Who are you trusting? Because the enemy comes and says... God's not trustworthy. Don't trust him. And so what we begin to understand is this, that trusting God requires us to address those lying voices that call us to to distrust God. The lying voices that destroy our faith. The lying voices that destroy our confidence in God and what he is doing in our lives. Beloved, when it comes to that struggle, because of the world, what the system around us declares, because of the flesh, what our own heart wants to declare, in our fallenness, because of Satan, we struggle with getting up off that throne of lies. Now, when you come here and you read down, 
through those verses that begin in Isaiah 36, verse 4, and go all the way through to the second to the last verse of the passage, what you understand is that there are lies that are coming out, and we need to take a look at our own lives and say, you know what, I wonder what the lies are that I choose to believe. What are the ones that catch me? What are the ones that cause me to struggle? And there are certain lies you find in this address by the emissary of Sennacherib. And there are many more. In fact, there are an infinite number of lies that we could talk about that the enemy places in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts and in our circumstances. But there are a few that are found here. The first lie is this, that we need to be identifying the voices that call us to abandon all hope. You see, there's a sense in which what the emissary says is true. When he says to them, on whom, and this is verse uh, 5, on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt? They're worthless. And when it comes to ultimate dependence, the enemy is right. We looked a few weeks ago and asked the question, what are my Egypts? All of them will fail. Nothing. Let me repeat that word again. Nothing. Just for emphasis, I'll say it one more time. Nothing in this world will ever be fully dependable. Only God. And you see, what the enemy does here is he puts them off in a wrong direction. He's right. Don't trust your Egypts. They won't come through. Your wealth is not a place of safety and security and purpose and meaning. Neither is your beauty or your strength or your popularity or your career or your ideology or whatever it might be. The only source of that kind of security, that kind of safety, that kind of purpose, that kind of meaning is God. But what the enemy says is, nothing is trustworthy. Just give up. We use a word for that today, and it's a huge struggle. It's called depression. It's worthless. It's useless. Why bother? It's the enemy's voice among many other things. And there are physical reasons and biological reasons and all the rest why we struggle with depression. But on the spiritual side, on the internal side, it's the belief that we might as well abandon all hope. The enemy will never tell us, you know, there is a source of hope. We'll never direct us to trust in God. We acknowledge the lies we hear by identifying the voices that are condemning our faithfulness. That voice inside, that that, that thought that I'm never good enough. 
I'm never good enough. I, I, I can't do it well enough. I, I'll never be accepted. And the more we look outside to find that, the louder that voice screams in our head. See, that's what, what the, the enemy comes and says to Hezekiah when he says to him, um, are you depending on the Lord your God? Isn't he the one whom Hezekiah tore down the high places and messed up all of the sacrifice? Listen, whenever the world is giving you spiritual advice, become very, 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 very suspicious. What this guy is saying is, you know what? Hezekiah made you tear down those idols. Hezekiah made you tear down all those false gods. God's not pleased with you. Yes, he is. But he was calling him to believe the lie. Beloved, our faithful is, faithfulness is never enough for us to find forgiveness and love and acceptance. That's found in Christ. All the rest is just an expression of that. And if I'm God's child, he's for me. His answer is yes to his promises and to the relationship and to his love and to his faithfulness. We need to identify the voices rejecting God's ability or willingness to deliver us. And again, as you read down through and this, this, this emissary is speaking, he declares to them, furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this land. You think I've come to restore this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me that he's not for you. Did you ever hear that lie? I have. There have been many times in my life where I could not understand what God was doing. When I could not understand why things were going in the direction in my life or the life of someone I loved or a ministry I was involved in. And my, the lie says, you know what? God's neither willing or able. To deal with this. You ever heard that one? I have. We need to identify the voices offering destructive alternatives. Again, we're running out of time, but but the emissary says to the people, listen, just give up on the Lord. Just give up on Hezekiah. Just give up on that. I've got an alternative. Just surrender to the king of Assyria. Oh, by the way, we will eventually take you into exile, but ignore that for now. That drink will really help, but ignore the consequences. That new relationship apart from my spouse will really help, but ignore the the consequences. Choosing to be dishonest or choosing to, to surrender my integrity in the midst of this tough situation. That'll bring relief, but ignore what eventually will come. And then the last lie that we find here, and again, there are many, 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 many more. 
We need to identify the lies that weaken our faith in the power and presence of God. The emissary comes and says, you know what? You're the last city we are seeking to destroy, and none of those other gods ever helped. You really think your God will? Now, that's in an Old Testament geopolitical context. What are the lies that the enemy screams into your brain in the midst of those struggles? You're not good enough? Look at the things you've done. Could anyone ever love you? (laughs) You think God's going to come through? Look at all the other struggles people have. The enemy is there to tell us the lies. Now, what you don't find here in Isaiah is the the place where those lies come from. Where's the source? Well, first of all, the lies come from a godless world system. You know what I really dislike? I hate when politicians manipulatively use the word of God to try to support some ideological idea. You look at their lives and there's nothing in their lives that would tell you anything that, in terms of faith or trust in God, but boy, they just want to manipulate it to rub it in. Or when the world system says everybody's doing it. Everybody lies a little bit. Everyone cheats on their taxes. Everybody, you know, is unfaithful. Everybody is having sex before marriage. Everybody. It's where the lies come from. The lies come from those who would seek us harm. I have struggled for so long with the sense of just being worthless. And one of the places, many in my life, but one of my father's favorite phrases when I would do something wrong was this. You are so stupid. Now the thing about children is they're great observers, but they're lousy interpreters. And my dad had many great things. I love my father. I miss him. But that one had its destructive impact. It became a lie. There are so many lies like that that we can believe. I know a friend of mine, when she was a little girl, came to her father in brokenness about a childish thing that had happened and in tears and just crying. And the father said, you know what? That's not a problem. Wait till you grow up. Then you'll really know what problems are. What a lie. See, the scary thing is when we hear those lies, you know what we do? We internalize them and we make them into our internal prosecutors. Do you have that voice that constantly condemns you? I do. That's the lies. The lie says you're worthless, you're stupid. My father says, you're cherished, and you're the son of the king. 
The lie says you'll never amount to anything. My father says, I have good works prepared ahead of time for you to do. But we begin to internalize them and begin to believe them. And we speak them to ourselves. And then lies come from our spiritual prosecutor. The enemy, the adversary, Satan. You're not really a child of God. No child of God would ever struggle with that. No child of God would ever have that as a problem. You're just a hypocrite. We hear those voices. And they destroy us if we listen. The reality is just the opposite. We need to counter the lies by replacing them with God's voice of truth. When the world and the liar says you're worthless, I say, no, this is what God's word says. When the world says you can't accomplish anything, I say, no, this is what God's word says. When the world says there's no way out of this, abandon your faithfulness to God. I say, no, this is what the word of God says. A friend of mine used to talk about the cassettes in your mind and pulling out the cassettes and putting in a new one. The problem is most, you know, anyone kind of younger than maybe 30 years old isn't quite sure what cassettes are. Doesn't know what a pencil is for when you're using cassettes. Some of you laugh. All right, try it this way. You need to take that thumb drive out and put in the new one. Paul said it this way. Don't conform any longer to the pattern, the the way of thinking of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He just mentions world here, but you could put all three there. But be transformed by doing what? Listening to a different voice. Renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to skip the next slide because of time. But it's the song by Casting Crowns. The voice of truth. When the enemy comes and says, child, you're nothing. When the enemy says, don't step out of that boat. Don't trust God. Don't do any of that. The voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth tells me, do not be afraid. The voice of truth has a very different message. And in the midst of all the struggle, I choose to listen to the voice of truth. The enemy came to Isaiah and, I'm sorry, to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, don't trust God. And there's always that message in the voice of the enemy. 
But Isaiah and Hezekiah show us a different way. You see, they proclaim that trusting God requires us to be where God's voice can be heard. I guarantee you it's not in isolation. I guarantee you it's not in withdrawal. I guarantee it's not in walking away. And what John read this morning as he was reading through John 37, and he was reading through those first seven verses, is Hezekiah's declaration of put yourself where God's voice can be heard. The very first thing you realize is that I need to be where God dwells to hear his voice. And so where does Hezekiah go? Where's the first place he shows up? The temple. Where God is present. Now we don't have a temple in the new covenant. This is not the sanctuary. This is a room. You are the sanctuary. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 declares that all y'all, when we gather together, when two or three are gathered, God is in our presence. When we sing those choruses, when we hear God's word being uh, read, when we hear prayers being read or spoken, God is there. And in those words, we hear the message that is different from the lies of the world. But also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says there, not all y'all, but just y'all. Meaning each one of you are the temple of God. Hebrews 10 reminds us that because of Christ's sacrifice, we can boldly go in the very presence of God. In that quietness, in that Stillness. I was thinking about if I had to write my place of quietness, I would write it this way. It's on my knees, surrounded by the arms of my chair. I love to pray kneeling in a chair with the arms around me and sensing this is where God is. I can speak to him, but also it's there that God's spirit can speak to me. He went to the temple. Secondly, he went to God in honest brokenness. Isaiah had, I mean, I'm sorry, Hezekiah had messed up. There's no sense in which he sought God's direction when he rebelled against Assyria. He made a friendship with Egypt, even though he wasn't fully dependent upon him, even when God said, don't do that. There is a pride in Hezekiah we will see in the chapters to come that actually happened historically before this event. But Isaiah comes to God and he says to God, this is a time of despair. This is a time of rebuke. This is a time when I come to seek God's correction. Too often we come to God saying, God, I deserve. 
Isaiah, I mean, sorry, I keep saying Isaiah, I mean Hezekiah. Hezekiah could have said, I rebuilt the temple. I restored the law. I tore down the altars. I set up worship again. I established the Passover anew. I established the festivals. God, you owe me. Instead, God, he came to God and said, you know what, God? When it comes to your holiness, what I long most is brokenness before you. Show me what faith means. It's heard in honest brokenness and repentance. His voice is heard in utter dependence. And let me just take a few moments because I love this illustration. Did you catch that illustration when, when John was reading Isaiah 37? When it talks about childbirth. And he says there in about the middle of verse 3. He says, this is, this is what Hezekiah says. This is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. Beloved, we don't get that. We were going through those times when Sydney was pregnant. We never thought, you know, she may come to the point and that baby will never come out. Now, we were concerned. We actually had a child that, that died in labor. But I never feared that the child wouldn't come out. But that was one, that was a major fear in the time of Hezekiah. When you get to the point and the mother has no more strength, no more ability, either because of a breech birth or because of whatever. And the baby won't come out. And there's only one outcome. The death of the mother and the death of the baby. Hezekiah says, that's the hopelessness of our situation. But that's where you find God. He comes and says, trust me. What Hezekiah is saying is, I can't deliver Jerusalem. And God says, I know. But I can. God's voice is heard in our acceptance of his loving sovereignty. God, I don't know how you're going to do this. God, you're holy. And, and, you know, I can bring nothing before you. But God... Thank you also that you're gracious. And so even though I don't know how it's going to come about, I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing. This sickness is not unto death. And Lazarus dies. I am God's Messiah. I come to establish the kingdom. And Jesus is crucified and dies. Hezekiah, I will deliver my people. And Assyria surrounds them. But God knows what he's doing. And that's a place of faith and trust. Seldom is it a place of absolute certainty. And then finally... It's heard in God's revelation. 
Isaiah comes, I mean, I'm sorry, Hezekiah comes to Isaiah and asks the question, what's God's word here? What will he do? We don't need prophets today in the sense of an Isaiah. We have a complete prophecy. Complete declaration of God's word. And it's there that his voice is heard. Beloved, we all face struggles. We all sit on thrones of lies. But we need to be those who seek to place ourselves where God's voice can be heard. Because I will promise you, if you are there, you will hear God's voice. Not audibly, if that happens, come talk to me. That seldom happens. But you'll hear it here. Father, thank you for the voice of truth that speaks to us. May we be those who learn and to be where that voice can be heard. Father, may we be those who are willing to listen to that voice and to identify the lies. Father, may we be those who are able to walk in faith and trust in you, knowing that there will come a day when our eyes of faith will be eyes of sight. Until then, keep us faithful. Allow us to depend upon you. And Father, we praise you for that. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.